You are listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom. Soul Searching is a journey where I engage with faith leaders and academics to explore deep questions of meaning. Questions that all of us ask at some point in our lives, such as, why are we here? What is right and wrong? Is there good and evil? Is truth relative or absolute? Is there life after death? And to help us in our journey this evening, we welcome my friend, Rabbi Ben Morrow, uh, the former rabbi of Temple Beth Shalom. Ben, welcome. Nice to be here, Rabbi. It's great, great having you here. Thank you for coming. Um, your journey through Jewish ritual and theology is really quite an extraordinary one. And I, I wanted us to explore that first because I think it's so fascinating to hear. Um, you went from studying at an Orthodox seminary to then joining the American secular humanist Judaism movement and then working in Reform Judaism. And so I guess my first question is, what facilitated that extraordinary journey between such widely differing movements? And, and I guess let's start with the orthodoxy to secular humanism. What, what brings about such a, a profound religious change in a person uh, for you? Well, I didn't know I was changing. When I was uh, four years old, I began uh, Hebrew school in a small orthodox congregation of people who came from the shtetl in the pale. So I didn't know there was any other denomination. And I learned from an Orthodox rabbi who thought I was fairly bright. Mm -hmm. And so he insisted that I should go to New York to a yeshiva. And at eight years old, um, my family lived in a double house with one room for my family and not other rooms for others in my family. And one more mouth to feed mm-hmm. was one too many. Right. So my father accepted a scholarship for me to go to a yeshiva in New York. That's where I really learned about what ritual, custom, and what the shulchan aruch, the table of laws that Orthodox uh, use as a guide for their lives. And you were how old? Eight. You were eight when you were studying that. Going from Johnstown, Pennsylvania to Brooklyn, New York. Seven 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 Parkway Avenue. <laughs> I'll never forget it. And when I got there, having been the what I thought was the smartest kid in the class, <laughs> I turned out to be not the smartest, but at the bottom of the class. And we used the Talmudic way of study. Across a table, an older boy and a younger boy, mm-hmm. and a mentor who was a rabbi. Well, I did what I was told for a number of years, and I, got qu- I asked questions, and I got very few answers. And one day, one day, after fighting off roaches and rats, uh-huh. I was asked a question by an Orthodox member of the staff who had a long beard past his belly button and who had foul breath and was very short and had to lean close to me to hear what I had to say. Uh I answered the question he asked badly. 
and he kept getting closer and closer and closer. And I saw a louse on his beard, and the louse just crawled closer and closer to me, and I panicked. And then I reflected on that event, and I asked myself, I've been good. I've done what I've been told. I listened to the, to the teachers. I studied hard. I tried to avoid bad thoughts in my mind. Mm-hmm. Why would God send me a louse to see so closely? What was the meaning of it? Wow. And I came to the conclusion at that time that God had no interest in me. And I decided, well... If he didn't have an interest in me, I was going to avoid having an interest in him. Right. And so I looked to the other side of the world. And when I got back into my hometown at age 13, I said to my father, I've had it. I do not want to go back. And he said, all right. So I went to public school uh-huh. for a couple of years. And... What brought me back to the question was uh, I lied and went into the service at 16 Uh and was trained as a bombardier sent overseas. I had three missions in the South Pacific. And on a third mission, we were shot down. And my life was saved by other people in the crew who were not injured. And since then, I had to spend many months in the hospital. And during that time, I thought to myself, I don't like being an atheist. Right. Why why is that? I liked being a part of a story. I felt I wanted to be human but that wasn't enough. I had to be somehow more. So I had to have community. And a a Red Cross lady uh, came every day in the hospital to see me. I had many broken bones and had to learn how to walk over again. And she was so cheerful and so happy. And she made my life worthwhile. And she brought me Hamlet from, by Shakespeare uh-huh. and read it to me word for word wow. over a period of days. And I thought to myself, that's so beautiful to be able to understand the meaning of life from different points of view. So she read everything about Shakespeare to me. And that opened my mind to the intellect, and I think I've used it ever since. So although I don't consider myself atheist, I also don't consider myself agnostic or theistic or deistic. Right. Uh, I really consider myself agnostic. What's agnostic? Agnostic is being ignorant (laughs) of the idea but still required to study it. So now I study the idea 
of God, uh-huh. the idea of no God. And I must tell you, I am still agnostic. It's, it's such an extraordinary story, Rabbi Ben. I, you know, the, the ability at 13 years old to be able to ask such a profound question, you know, what does this louse mean to me? And to be able to draw your own um, theological understanding from that, you know, within a theological context and to say, to move away, but then to realize actually there's something, I mean, the connection to the story is is so interesting to me. What, What is that story for you when you say that you, you still wanted to be part of that story? It's an ability for me to enter into a world that is my world, that uh, when I look at my family first, I see that story. When I look at my neighborhood, I see that story. And there doesn't seem to be an end to it. The, uh, The ritual and custom part of the story is supports the other part of the story, which allows me eh, to be inquisitive, to understand beauty, or attempt to understand beauty, to work with others, to be a social creature, to be a caring creature, and also to be a creature that wants more. And the story is an attempt at achieving more, more easily. So then why Judaism? Why the particularly Jewish story? If the story is this ongoing developing narrative, why not just be a humanist? Why, why, why a Jewish, almost humanist, or a Jewish agnostic? Well, I think the reason I'm so Jewish is because my fundamental bringing up was in an absolutely... Jewish sense. Mm-hmm. And I learned to love the ritual, the Pesach and Shavuot and Yom Kippur, and they all had meaning to me. And so even the, the ritual of the Shabbos dinner, the Sabbath dinner, had such great meaning for me because it, it taught me what peace was. Right. And it, it taught me that I am a person that needed to explore my mind, my brain, right. and uh, and I didn't want to leave it. And then, but then, as you approach ninety years old, do they do they hold the same meaning? I mean, we can all be brought up in a faith tradition and be and be shown that these things have value. But you, quite specifically, even at thirteen years old, said, "Actually, I'm moving away, quite deliberately, stepping away from that which I was taught." So, eighty years on. What what value do these hold for you today? When I was in the service, I didn't have time. <clears throat> Excuse me. I didn't have time to get into another story. Right. Because the service always kept me Jewish. And so I was that little Jew boy from Johnstown. Right. You know, and I don't know that it was meant in a hostile way, but I felt it that way. I felt different and I felt outside. And so I went back to 
my roots, and I, that gave me comfort. And when I got out of the service, I got back to a very vibrant Jewish community in a small town, and then I went to Pittsburgh to be educated, and they had a very large Jewish element there that seemed to me to be quite wonderful. And so I, I felt comfortable mm-hmm. going back to all the rituals, practicing them. But that was still many decades ago. So what's the appeal now for you? I never lost going back to family and community. Mm. Uh, kept me from being more alone. Yeah, when I go to services on Friday night, which I, I don't only enjoy it, I feel that I, this is my extended family, mm-hmm. and just wishing people a good Sabbath, and uh, maybe holding a hand or getting a hug involves me in the pattern of Judaism, which I find very comfortable. What What is that pattern? Do you mean the, the festivals, or is there a larger pattern? There's a larger pattern. What, what is that pattern? I have been able to take the story of the Jewish people, including the religion of the Jewish people, and understand why it was the religion was so important to the people then mm-hmm. and may again be. But for me at this moment, the philosophy I can do without. The rest of it is so charming and so edifying right. and so much fun. Uh, that I I want to be part of it. I don't know how not to be part of it. That's wonderful. We're going to take a a quick break. Um, You're listening to Soul Searching on KSFR uh, with Rabbi Neil Amswich. And my guest for this evening is my friend and colleague, Rabbi Ben Morrow, the former rabbi of Temple Beth Shalom. And we'll return after this break. You're listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom. My guest this evening, Rabbi Ben Morrow, the former rabbi of Temple Beth Shalom. And we've been talking so far about your extraordinary narrative and uh, your own personal narrative and connecting to a larger narrative um, from an agnostic position, as you were as you were <laughs> describing it. And I guess let's go back all the way to the beginning, because. Um, part of our narrative is part of the universe's narrative. And so from your agnosticism, um, which is definitely a word I shall be using in the future, um, what was the cosmos created? Was it, was it always, did it always exist? Does it matter? What's, what's your place as an agnostic um, in, the, um, in the cosmos? Well, it, it seems to me, Rabbi Neil, that either it was created or it was always. And it's very difficult to understand the part that says it was always. But if there was a creator, if it was created, there had to be a creator. 
Sure, but if it came into existence in and of itself, Stephen Hawking, who who passed away recently, um, talked about how space and time are so uh, intimately connected that there was no beginning. It's just that space started to happen, therefore time started to happen. So, is it possible? You say if it was created, there was a creator, which I agree with. But if if it came into being. In and of itself, because we don't know how universes behave, and sometimes maybe they spontaneously appear. Is it possible for the universe to have just appeared, and then everything continued after that? Yes, I think it's possible. I'm not sure that that's true, but I think I want to look to the concept and study it, and not not、uh, relegate it to to the. Our history of the past. I I think that it is possible for things to be.、Mm-hmm. Uh, I ex I am, therefore I exist, or I exist, therefore I am. In that sense, I think we can say the universe exists, therefore it is,、mm-hmm. and wonder about the mystery of what does that mean. Whereas if we say it was created, we say we have to find a creator. The, the most tribes, most、uh, human groups, have looked to a mysterious creator.、Mm-hmm. Um, it generally turns out to be God, and if God created this magnificent whatever we are.、Mm-hmm. Then he had to be more than the magnificent that we are, and so we pay homage, allegiance, and fear that kind of a creator. And so, whatever the more we fear, the more we want to、um, believe it. Now, you say we pay homage, allegiance, and fear.、Um, Are you included in that we? And I ask that from the position that you were describing before, in terms of that almost secular, humanistic, agnostic position. Is when you say we, are, are you part of that we of, of of homage, allegiance, and fear? Yes, yes, I am. I'm. You know, we're not different in the sense of search.、Mm-hmm. Uh, my personal belief is. And certainly, there are many others. My personal belief is that all of us have one kind of need, and that is to be immortal. We feel that this would justify our existence, and how we become immortal depends on philosophy. So, I saw I saw a、uh, thing on a bumper. What do you call it? bumper sticker? Bumper sticker. One time, and it said,、uh, "Jesus is real. Jesus tells me, I believe, and that's enough."、Uh-huh. So that person has found his way. Well. I guess I could say Moses might be real, 
you know. And, but but I, I can't bring myself to that. I want to know what is real. I want to, to find out that which I don't know. And so in that search, there are many reals. Right. I think it's interesting when you say we all want to be immortal. I, I'm not convinced I do. I, I'm aware of my own mortality. Um, and and I, I kind of accept it. So I'm wondering, I can't be the only one. Uh, I'm wondering, what does that mean for you, that, that search for immortality and realness? Um, because is not what is not our life that we have here and now, is that not that which is most real? I, I struggle with the idea that we might look to a, 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 another life after our own and say, well, that's actually more real, even though we have no sense of that. Well, I, I think that it's not a sense that is clear. It's something that is felt in a weird way, that uh, immortality. And when someone says to me, uh, explain that to a seventh grader. Uh-huh. And I try to, to understand what it is that I am physically and what it is that I am that I don't understand physically. Turns out, I think I'm a bunch of atoms. Mm-hmm. And the way the atoms were put together in a random state uh, made me me mm-hmm. and made you you. And then when we no longer are the we, the we's that we are, uh-huh. we become something else. We don't disappear. We are immor- immortal in that sense. Right. So even though I don't have a creator that I need to uh, be aware of and deal with, I have me that will change and will always be. And so, I totally sympathize with that, with that sense of immortality continuing. I do want to pick you up on one thing you said there, though, which was atoms randomly put together. If we were randomly, totally randomly put together, we, would have, we wouldn't have a body type. We wouldn't have an expectation of humanity. There seems to be some sense of guidance um, in, in how people are put together and how animals are put together. What is that guidance for you? Because I don't think it's totally random. Um, and I'm wondering where you are with that. Well, I'm with the, with the idea that if you did put a great number of monkeys in front of a typewriter and taught them to punch keys, right. that later, rather than sooner, you would get a Shakespeare play. I think that is possible. I also think it is possible that we humans are not the end product of this randomness, that uh, artificial intelligence in the form of of a computer Mm -hmm. or a robot that can think, solve its problems, repair itself, is another form of... of, uh, uh, humanity or robots being permanent. But although that's that's quite a soulless development, isn't it? Yes. Okay. I I, I have to ask, we've 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 covered 
the narrative. We've really focused on narrative this evening. And I think moving from, you know, focusing, starting with your personal narrative, and we've gone all the way back to the beginning of the universe, which I appreciate is quite a lengthy narrative. I have to ask, because you are the oldest guest we've ever had yes. on, on this show. You're approaching your 90th birthday, which is just a wonderful thing. And and in Jewish tradition, we say, Ad you know, may you continue until 120. And yet I have to ask, with with your 90th birthday approaching, you surely reflect on the end of your personal narrative. Yes. And and what what do you think happens to you after you die? I wonder if you can if you can specify that a little more. Well, it doesn't really matter right. to me. I think whoever makes the ultimate decision, uh, my personal choice is to be cremated as a symbol of joining the six million Jews uh, who were gassed or burned wow. or killed. And I, I, I think joining them will give me my Jewish community in another sense. So that's why I've chosen cremation. Right. But if somebody overrules that, right. I think that, that that'll be their choice. I think I have been very fortunate to have had a magnificent life. I've done so many things. And uh, sometimes when I'm up sailplaning or gliding, as you might call it, uh-huh. all by myself in a vehicle that has no power, mm-hmm. uh, using the air as power, and I look around me, yes, I have that small tinge of maybe, uh-huh. you know, uh, but... Basically, when I get back on the ground and start walking, I overcome that. <laughs> so there's a little bit in me that still uh, hopes for miracles. And uh, what kind of miracles? What what do you do? You mean well, extended life miracles or or, or um, transformation of nature miracles? Well, no. I think this fits in with your question. Uh, I would love to go back to Israel. Uh. I'd like to, whatever remaining days or months that I have, I would like to live it in a land that I believe offers a unique moment in the history of man for salvation. And that is that we all need a place. Right. And Israel it's the place in my story. And it has opened up its place to Jews everywhere. It would be nice if all human beings had place. But for me, in my story, Israel is that place. And it's a beautiful thing to think of a place where all of us can go in whatever context we are. And so that would be a wonderful experience, and I may do it. Okay. <laughs> well, look, Rabbi Ben, this has been a 
a truly extraordinary exploration of your narrative, um, of your story. And, and my hope is that maybe you'll be able to come back again soon and we can explore even more of that narrative. I, I do hope um, that will be possible. Rabbi Neil, I thank you for inviting me. And I just want to tell you that every time I see those children come up to the altar and surround you, and you talk to them privately. It's such a wonderful experience. Oh, thank you. And that's a custom you started, in fact, at the temple. So, <laughs> so that, if nothing else, will continue for many years, I'm sure. So thank you, Rabbi Ben Morrow, um, my colleague and friend and uh, former rabbi of Temple Beth Shalom. Thank you for joining me for a truly fascinating discussion. Yes, it's been that. Uh, so you've been listening to Soul Searching with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom and from the Interfaith Leadership Alliance of Santa Fe. Until we return again in two weeks' time, keep searching. <laughs>